Hello and welcome to Organising to Win, the trade union organising podcast from Unison Northwest. Last month we held our annual organising convention, Skills for Strength, on the 10th of March, bringing together activists from across the Northwest region with organisers and campaigners who are challenging unfairness in the workplace and winning. Two years ago, at Skills for Strength, I spoke to Roger McKenzie, Unison's Assistant General Secretary, about Unison's journey to becoming an organising union, just weeks before the government passed the Trade Union Act in May 2016, which imposed all sorts of measures designed to make organising in the workplace more difficult. At this year's event, I spoke with Roger again, and I began by asking how that journey had been over the last two years, and how Unison's tackling some of the organising challenges facing us today. I, th- I think the most important thing about all of that for me is that workers don't wait for national offices or regional offices even before they go out and do things. I mean, one of the things we've just heard is a um, in the plenary session was about a dispute about uh, on buses and stuff. Well, you know, people didn't wait for somebody to to organise them; they organised themselves. So one of the things that I've seen um, and become you know really enthusiastic about, you know, really um, happy about over the last couple of years, is people don't wait. For, for somebody to give them permission to organise. Um, they go out and do it. So when people feel an injustice, um, they, um, I think, is a, almost like a reflex. People stand up and say, we've got to do something about this. The next question is, what is that something? And then they, um, I think, um, again, as a reflex, people turn to the person sitting next to them in the workplace or the person who they know within the workplace and build from there. And, I, and one of the things that I've seen over the last couple of years is that it's, well, confirmed, really. It's still a journey. It's still a journey that is bitty across the country, if I was to be honest. Um, And the reason for that, particularly within Unison, I think, is that there's different challenges um, that face different parts of our membership. So, for example, um, you know, you start from a high base in the northwest in terms of levels of organisation, in terms of militancy, I suppose, as well. Um, But also the people you've got here who are convinced about the organising agenda in other parts of the country. Let's take, for example, the the southeast region. Many more private sector employers, many more um, um, employers that are outside national arrangements, even though they're like local government um, employers and so on. So, so we've got big, big challenges. So, I suppose what I'd say about the last two years is that it's convinced me more and more that you can't have one size that will fit all across the organisation. I think what we do is look at where we we've got some strength so like the northwest and we roll out and um, the things that work well there um, from there to other regions not to say this is the only way you do it this is the only way um, that you can get on and and build power for working people in the workplace but it says hey look here's an example of what we did um, you might find it helpful you might not and um, there might be bits that you can win from it and I think what we've seen over the last couple of years is more and more of that information sharing going on I think we've seen many much much more uh, confidence I think in the face of all the grief that people are experiencing in workplaces I think a lot more confidence from working people about the need to stand up and do something and just thinking about that grief that people are facing in workplaces you know the the value of their pay falling um, cuts in jobs cuts in services 
you know, when we last spoke, uh, we were just at the cusp of the Trade Union Act coming into force, imposing ballots uh, thresholds, um, imposing restrictions on the way that trade unions can operate and and actually fight back collectively against uh, some of the attacks that they're facing from that workers are facing from employers. Um, you know, has that been the death knell of uh, of, of a collective action, and uh, what kind of um, successes and struggles have you seen win against that uh, against that? You know, over the last two years. Well, if the, if the measure that the government wanted to use was that it was going to destroy trade unions, then you know, I mean, we grew last year as a movement, so we didn't, they didn't destroy us. Um, other unions did really well. I think we we were one of the few unions that just about kind of just grew. I think, um, but also, um, I, 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 I just don't think you can legislate away an idea. I don't think you can say that what we're going to do is make it more difficult for people to to strike. Um, Then we'll put in these ridiculous thresholds to make it more difficult for people to pass some legislative kind of idea about what it takes for people to strike. You cannot do that because when all said and done, when people get angry in the workplace... Um, as has been shown by many of our members um, in the meantime and by members in other unions, they will turn out in big numbers and they will strike if necessary. But also what it means is not just about the striking, of course, it's about the ability of the union to be able to operate in the workplaces. So what they did, they they introduced this ridiculous thing about um, you know putting a... a difficulties in terms of how we collect our member subs and so on um, so you know the docas arrangements as they as they're called um, you know i mean people people have you know we've, we've still secured most of that um that um, membership income but for me the key thing yeah income's important of course is without the income we don't survive and we don't prosper as a as an organization but the key thing for me around all that wasn't the um the issue about just going out and talking to employers about signing a piece of paper. Because if that's all it was, then we've really gone backwards as an organisation. I think what the North West did has been really instructive for the whole of not just our union, but for our movement. Because what they did was they didn't just go and talk to employers. They went out and talked with members in those workplaces as well. And I think that's the difference. Any opportunity you get to go and be visible with members um, and be visible with non-members. I think that makes the difference. And going absolutely back to your point about legislation and what it means, you can't legislate away visibility. If if unions are visible to their members, that's how you build power in the workplace. You don't do it by being remote and sitting in an office somewhere and never going out and talking with people. No legislation stops us from going out and talking with our members and going out and talking with non-members and going out when it's really cold first thing of the morning and going out and talking to people, even though you're banned from a workplace, as some of our officials have been. Nothing stops us from finding new and innovative ways of being able to touch hands with working people who are delivering public services to Bill. You you can have as many pieces of legislation as you like, right? But I don't think it stops us from doing those things. So, you know, those ballot thresholds, which I suppose are designed to kind of quash any hope that workers might have that they're able to fight back against some of the attacks they face. Um, 
you know, what, what, what hope can you give um, workers who are uh, looking at potentially taking action? Have we been able to beat those ballot thresholds? And what kind of, you know, in what circumstances have we? What's What's been the well, story of that? I, I think um, there's other unions have done it. So um, the CWU, I think, were the first unions to do it. Um, I think the UCU have clearly done it as well. But I think what you've seen as well, and, and for me, this is where we can just take stock a little bit and think about how you really build strong industrial action. Um, there's lots of examples, and Kevin um, Nelson, the regional secretary earlier on, gave some examples of localised disputes, you know, disputes with employees. And by the way, I'm not giving up ever on notions of big national disputes. I'm not doing that at all. What I'm talking about is how you can really make a difference for working people on the ground on a day-to-day -day basis by building strong industrial action in workplaces. What we've seen is when we've had those um, ballots um, at a local level, when we've had, we've been able to um, secure big, big turnouts, way ahead of the thresholds that the Tories are talking about, way ahead. And we've been able to be um, win big um, amounts of support by our members for industrial action. So I, th I think we have to look at where we can promote, actually, um, many more of those local disputes and use those as a way of building for more national disputes. Um, so rather than doing it the other way around, which I think is more of our history, you know, we have a national dispute and everything goes into that once every couple of years or whatever. Um, and then we kind of, you know, nothing really happens as a result. It's sometimes we win, sometimes we lose. Or sometimes we think we've won and sometimes we've lost, you know. Um, I think what we have to do is say, what are the issues that are really facing people at a local level? Um, Lynn Collins earlier on, the regional secretary of the TUC, um, I, I think made a really important point about um, the, the, the whole thing about anger, developing an anger amongst workers. Workers have an anger about things that are affecting them at a particular moment. And if you can turn that into action then I think that makes the difference. But I'd go further as well, because if we ever see industrial action as just being about a particular dispute with an employer, again, I think we're missing something. Um, one of the things I'm going to talk about um, later on uh, in the plenary session is I think the need to have a bigger outlook about what it is we're trying to do. Yeah, we have to build industrial action because we, we need to generate momentum for people to be part of the organisation, to feel angry, get involved, do something about the the issues that they face but actually what we have to do is to build a movement that's going to bring about an irreversible shift in, of power in favour of working class people and for me that's what Tony Benn used to talk about all those years ago and that hasn't gone away so yeah we've got to win you know we've got to fight and win those local localised disputes or you know sort, sort of more targeted disputes but we have to see that as part of something else. And I think that something else is building a movement that's really going to make a difference for working class people generally. That was Roger McKenzie, uh, Unison's Assistant General Secretary, speaking to me in March. Well, over recent months, university lecturers in the UCU, the University and College Union, have taken action in response to plans by Universities UK to axe defined benefit pensions for tens of thousands of university staff, which the UCU believe would lead to retirement income being reduced by up to £10,000 a year. 88% of UCU members voted to take strike action and the UCU called 14 days of action beginning on the 22nd of February. 
In March, I spoke to UCU's regional official for the Northwest, Martin Moss, and asked him what the background to the dispute was and how the campaign has unfolded so far. Yeah, so uh, negotiations started last November with the university's uh, employers body, UUK, and the upshot of those negotiations are that the employers are seeking to impose uh, in late January when talks broke down uh, very significant and detrimental changes to our members' pension arrangements in universities, which basically means that members will no longer have a guaranteed pension and retirement. And UCU has calculated that that would amount to a loss of about uh, £10,000 a year in retirement or 200000 over the period of an average retirement, which clearly is not acceptable to our members. So this is despite them paying into the pension throughout their career? Um, you know, paying into that pension, expecting a certain level of remuneration. At That's the end, right. As it? we know, pensions are deferred wages, um, so members feel betrayed. Uh, but of course, it affects different members to different degrees, depending on their age. And in particular, it uh, most badly affects uh, our younger members. Um, and it's remarkable, actually, in the disputes, and probably worth mentioning that in the ballot that we held um, uh, in January, where we uh, got a 88% uh, strike vote in favour of strike action, um, I'm obviously beating the threshold uh, in the new uh, anti-union laws introduced last March. Um, so uh, what's been very significant, though, is the engagement of younger members in the union in the dispute, and we've seen uh, thousands actually joining the union uh, as a result of that. There were 5,000 new members in the first week of the dispute. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, that's extraordinary. Just again, going back to the um, the kind of issue, the, the, the core issue, is it right that um, for some members they're looking at after paying in for, for, for you know, potentially decades that they're looking at a pension of as low as sort of £9,000 a year, is that right? Yeah, it will lead to significant reductions yeah, in, yeah. in members' pen- pensions, which, which they yeah. find unacceptable. And what's the, um, what's the kind of, uh, what's the, the progress on the dispute to date? What, what's so what's been uh, remarkable is that um, we've seen our members supporting a, a strike action that's never been attempted before in the university sector. The union announced... Uh, four weeks of strikes, 14 days in total. So it was two days the first week, three the next, four this week just gone, and then from Monday the whole week, five days. And the support for those strikes has been remarkable. Uh, It's solid. Uh, The numbers of members on picket lines has been uh, exceptional. Uh, There's been mass rallies and marches in places like Manchester and Liverpool and Lancaster. Um, And... After two days of that strike action, what we saw is the employers start to uh, wobble. Um, They uh, agreed to talks, and there were some initial talks uh, last week. Um, The action continued, and that led now to uh, the employers being forced, kicking and screaming really, into ACAS conciliated talks. And those ACAS conciliated talks have been going on now for the last three days. But the message from UCU's national leadership is clear that we've still got a long way to go in those talks and we need to keep the pressure up and that's why the strike action continues has continued this week and will continue into next week and why the national leadership on Thursday uh, agreed if progress isn't made 
an agreement isn't reached, then a further 14 days of strike action uh, will be uh, will, will be initiated sh- shortly. And how can people practically support lecturers who are on strike? Um, you know, have been on strike in this campaign. What can people? How can people support the campaign itself? What can people yeah. do? Well, firstly, uh, to say that the support we've had already has been absolutely fantastic uh, from the National Union of Students and actual students themselves uh, supporting their lectures on picket lines has been absolutely brilliant. Support of other unions has been fantastic as well. We've had tremendous messages of support. Uh, we've seen Unison branches join our members on picket lines with their branch banners, which is really very much uh, appreciated. So that long may that continue. Um, we've established a national fighting fund to uh, support uh, the strike. Um, a lot of our members aren't that well paid. People may think that university lecturers uh, are well paid. Uh, but a lot of our members, actually, particularly the younger ones, are on precarious contracts. They're not permanent contracts. And, of course, also involved in this strike is not just lecturing staff, as is often reported in the media, but we've got large numbers of uh, members that work in professional services uh, in universities who are also on strike as well. So on the front of the UCU website is the opportunity to click onto the and make donations to the Fighting Fund. And that Fighting Fund has already reached six figures over the past few weeks. Uh, um, so, uh, you know, practical support in that that way as well would be very very welcome that was martin moss the university and college union's northwest regional official speaking to me in march and since that was recorded ucu members are now voting in a ballot on an improved pensions offer which has been put forward by universities uk and that ballot closes on the 13th of april well that's all we've got time for this time but uh, we will be back Uh, soon with more interviews and features in another episode but in the meantime please subscribe to us on soundcloud or itunes and if you'd like to access information and resources relating to this program or listen to previous podcasts then check out our website at www.unisonnw.org forward slash podcast